Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode. And of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. And hello! It's been a minute. We're happy to be back with you. Woo! Here we are. We're doing the thing again. We are doing the thing again after a brief hiatus, because life is terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Guess what? Happy belated Valentine's Day. Indeed. Indeed. We're just gonna ignore the beginning of the month and just say that valentine's day is now whenever you're listening to this even if you're listening to this in like august of 2024 it's valentine's day now that's right and that means that you need chocolate you do because the only way that you can get through valentine's day alive is with copious amounts of chocolate that is true at least in my opinion i agree i I mean you can do whatever you want but your snack of choice yeah yeah you deserve your snack of choice treat yourself this is our invitation Really, it's our order. We're telling you, treat yourself. You deserve it. Yes, I will. I will uh, concur with Juliet's order. By order of Attack the Final Girls, you must indulge in at least one special treat. Yes. <laughs> for fake Valentine's Day. <laughs> for the Valentine's Day that we have created for you. Yes. <laughs> um, which is probably better than the real Valentine's Day anyways. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it is. I actually had planned to have chocolates for both of us today, and Steve ate them all. <laughs> so now granted this was way late it was on valentine's day yeah and i went to walgreens for something totally unrelated uh-huh. i think it was butter pecan ice cream for my dad he just randomly wanted butter pecan so i said fine i'll go to walgreens and get you some of course it being valentine's day there's like limited options by uh-huh. way of chocolate although there were a ton of ferrero rocher Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess nobody likes it. <laughs> or nobody wants like 30 of them. People are intimidated by the bougie of the Ferrero Rocher. I mean, honestly, I didn't know it was a truffle until I was much older. I thought there was oh. a whole hazelnut inside. Oh, well, that would make it very intimidating. Yeah. Like, I got to eat a whole hazelnut here? How do I eat this? Yeah. Do I need a nutcracker? Right. You do not. It's you a- just <laughs> bite in and it's fine. Right? Anyways. The options were limited, but I got like the lint truffles. They had like a heart shaped box of them and it was like 40% off because of because <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. So you're super late. Well, they didn't make it. It's all good. It was all good. <laughs> it's, it's been a couple weeks. So, it has been. To yeah. be fair. Yeah. But also, I only got one of them in total. So probably should have gotten one, like gotten Steve his own. Yes. And hid the other one. Yeah. Like, oh, no, I only got one. Yeah, that's all there is. We're saying all of these things because today we're covering My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Yes. The beloved, the uh, slasher classic. It is, fun fact, Quentin Tarantino's favorite slasher movie. Now, that depends on whether you care what Quentin Tarantino thinks. But, you know, some people do. So that's a fact for you. What was that shirt that I sent you the other day? Oh, my God. It was, it was so great. It was like Quentin and tarantino by writer-director or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it said. But if you care about what Quentin Tarantino thinks, then cool. There's a, just another, you know, feather for the movie's cap. I prefer to go with the bona fide that uh, this movie inspired the naming of the band My Bloody Valentine. 
who are very good. Yeah, yeah. I actually really do dig that band, too. So it makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of in line. I've always thought that metal and horror movies kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. And I think it's kind of funny that we didn't get, like, really great, like, 90s, 2000s parody band until Ice Nine Kills, which was, like, way later. And hair metal was such a big part of movies in the 80s horror movies in the 80s that it just is always baffling to me that I'm like why was there such a long period of time where we didn't have them like handshaking you know yeah yeah it's very strange there was the great you know fast away album that was the soundtrack to trick-or-treat which I absolutely love there was the Rocktober Blood soundtrack but then it's like you know Ice Nine Kills, of course, what I jump to is Cobra Starship and that stupid snakes on a plane song. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is strange. Like, I think we've discussed it in another one of our episodes where like movies started appropriating just regular songs versus like having songs made for the movie. Like Dream Warriors. Yes, exactly. such a good song. It really is. And like there are so many Argento films, like Italian filmmakers who would like they're like, listen, we're going to commission you for the whole damn album. Yeah. And it's going to play right alongside the movie. And it's also going to hold up on its own as a separate album. Yeah. Not really getting that so much anymore. No. Not for horror movies anyways. No. Especially Scream onward. Like Red Right Hand was like the unofficial theme song for Scream. But that was already a song in its own right. And it's great. Yeah. Like I love Nick Cave. But anytime I hear that song in a movie, I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Of all of the discography in the entire world. Yeah. We have to keep using that song, that one song. (laughs) After Scream did it, it should have been a moratorium. Yeah. No more using Red Right Hand. Yeah. Peaky Blinders, pick a different song. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We can't have anyone that's allowed to use it. Forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) And by order of Attack the Final Girls, once again. Yes. No more. (laughs) We're issuing edicts today. (laughs) I mean, why not? We're allowed to. Yeah. Just to uh, let our listeners know, if you have never seen it or if you've only seen the remake of this film, yes, also okay to watch. Yeah. Um, that one came out in 3D. So yeah. if you're down for a 3D movie, it's a movie about a town that's kind of struck by a several-year-old curse. There was an accident that happened and then a terrible curse that happened to the town. There's a crazy man who's murdering people and... On the 20th anniversary of that initial death, they're getting ready to have their first Valentine's Day dance. And this is in Valentine Bluffs, by the way. So that's why Valentine's Day is so big for this town. But they're getting ready to have their first Valentine's Day dance in 20 years and chaos ensues. Yep. I mean, that's pretty much the whole thing. Yeah. In the way of main characters, we have... Paul Kelman, who played TJ, went out west to strike it big and and had to slink his way home because he failed so, so hard. His former love interest, Sarah, played by Lori Hollier, who is torn in two different directions because of her newfound romance with Axel, played by Neil Affleck. She moved on. TJ was gone. She had to keep going. Oh, yeah. More on that in a minute (laughs) because I have strong feelings. Yeah. And those really, those three are kind of our main cast of characters. So yeah, I don't know for sure about Lori Hallier because I didn't look deeply into it. But I will say that a lot of these actors and actresses kind of kept it pretty small after this movie. And interestingly enough, I guess one way or the other, 
it did not do very well critically. Right. It did not make a lot of money at the box office. It's a kind of a cult movie. It found its following much later. Yeah, this is one of those movies that is considered like a seminal horror film now. But when it came out was met with really mixed reviews. And some of that is that, you know, this was right at the real start of the slasher boom. And so like there were a lot of slashers, Mm -hmm. you know. And there was a lot for horror film fans to consume at the time. So not everybody was getting to everything in the theater. We were just on the vanguard of like VHS rental, home movies, that kind of a thing too. So a lot of people just, you know, would catch things as they could, you know, maybe not in a theater, but maybe they would catch it after the fact, you know, via home video. Mm -hmm. So that explains some of that. The other thing to know about this movie is that the original version was drastically cut down by the MPAA. Over seven minutes were cut out of the original film. Mm -hmm. And that was for a couple of reasons. So first of all, uh, it was originally released by Paramount. And Paramount had gotten such backlash because of Friday the 13th, which had just come out like a year prior in 1980. That they were being a little more cautious. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, this film was released in February of 1981, the week of Valentine's Day. And John Lennon had just been murdered in December of 1980. And so there was this big cultural moment, which we saw happen a lot, especially in, you know, the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s and early aughts in response to horror cinema and later other things like video games where there was something horrible that happened in the world and people were having a problem with violent movies. And so because this was getting ready to be released immediately after John Lennon died, the studio was kind of forced, their hand was kind of forced by the MPAA to cut a lot of the gore, which the director has subsequently said to him really undermines and disrespects the good work that the effects people did, that the cinematographers did. He's got a statement. We watched the 2009 reissue that has three minutes put back in of the original footage. And there's a really nice statement from the director ahead of time that really doesn't so much say like, oh, this ruined my vision, but was like, hey, like these people did really good work. And I'm really happy that we can honor the good work that they did on this film by putting some of this footage back in. Yeah. And I think when we were watching it, I kind of mentioned like we don't really see culturally movies or video games or even really music now get censored in the same way when something terrible happens. Like I do remember after 9-11, there was a ton of stuff. There was a do not play uh, list and it was like stuff that really didn't have anything to do with like 9-11 or anything like that but it was like hardcore you can't play these songs because they reference explosions or bombs or planes so fun fact about that that was not a law okay by the way no one can govern that Mm -hmm. it was that at the time after 9-11 most radio was owned by like one of four giant conglomerates Mm. in the country And because they created these lists, everybody thought it was law. But like an independent station, like you can literally do whatever you want content-wise as long as it falls within FCC guidelines. But the trick with FCC guidelines is it's completely arbitrary. Okay. So like everybody thinks like, oh, there's like the seven words you can't say on television and radio. Mm -hmm. Kind of, but that's actually not the rule. Um, (laughs) Interesting. Let me dive into my day job for a minute. (laughs) So 
it's entirely arbitrary what is deemed offensive is up to the community that the station serves. Hmm, okay. So the FCC, like, it's not like the FCC is listening in, like, has a room full of people on headphones that are spot-checking radio stations and television all the time. What they're doing is receiving complaints from people in local communities. I see. So that's why, like, when the Janet Jackson thing, which was total bullshit, happened in the Super Bowl halftime show, Mm -hmm. the whole Nipplegate thing, it was not that the FCC was like, oh, my God, nipple on TV, you know, we're going to find Janet Jackson and CBS and all this stuff. It's that people complained. Mm -hmm. People wrote into the FCC. We've seen that just recently. I mean, people complain to the FCC after literally every Super Bowl halftime show now. People literally just complained. Uh, Rolling Stone had a really great article (laughs) that outlined some of the complaints because they're all public record Mm -hmm. to the FCC about the recent, the Rihanna Super Bowl show, Mm -hmm. which was like the least provocative in terms of like she was fully clothed in a bodysuit the whole time and was really kind of minimalist with her dancing and all that, and people still complained. Like, I think they said they received... Isn't it like over 1,500 complaints so far? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like that would be so much work to do for, Mm -hmm. like, such little payout. Because who knows what happens to it when it gets to the FCC? Like, I mean, they do fine people. Like, I have heard about stations that have gotten exorbitant fines or have been put on probation and things like that. Wow. It usually has to be pretty bad, though. Like... What if what if it's just a garbage complaint? Do they like actually follow up on it or are they like, this is not an FCC problem. We're going to send a letter to that person. I mean, I think that they follow up. I think that they investigate. Mm -hmm. But I think they're also thinking about context and things like that. Like, you know, there are words and phrases that when used in the context of like news reporting or documentary would not be deemed offensive but if they were used in a comedic context or you know what i mean like yeah yeah it's a whole thing and that's why you have a podcast yeah (laughs) well it's true because podcasts are not podcasts and content on the internet are not governed by the fcc oh my god i feel like i'm just airwaves i'm just speaking that into existence and now there's going to be some like (laughs) podcast watchdog office agency that anyways (laughs) but it really you don't really see it anymore where like something terrible happens and then they're like well you got to cut out you know 15 minutes of that movie so i was really interested to see if that was going to happen coming out of the pandemic Mm -hmm. because like 9-11 is a really good example of that there were many movies as we've discussed previously that got shelved um, oh yeah that got shelved permanently or got delayed and had to have reshoots and things like that because scenarios were deemed too close to what actually happened or seemingly triggering or whatever. But we haven't really seen that. And I was wondering, because the pandemic has been kind of the biggest global event in a long time where Mm -hmm. everybody's paying attention, if like especially horror films about illness or like zombie films were going to become taboo or out of vogue or something and it does not appear that that has happened especially given that the last of us is on right now yeah you would think if that was going to happen the last of us would have gotten shelved oh definitely i feel like there's been so much like pandemic heavy media in terms of like movies or fast tracking of things that maybe would have taken longer that are like, oh, this has to do with a global pandemic. Let's definitely make sure that we show that now while it's fresh in everybody's minds. And it seems like we're just rolling full steam ahead. Yeah. 
And I don't know if there's been enough time between when the pandemic first started and for us to actually like be able to think about it in retrospect and really fully like grieve or process those things. Mm -hmm. Lots of people are already going to therapy about it, but like, I mean, obviously it's still happening. COVID is still a thing. Yeah. And there are still immunocompromised people to whom it is very real. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I have not, I have not even, even a little bit gotten to processing how I feel about it. Well, that's the difference. I mean, that's what a lot of, I've heard a lot of like therapists and mental health experts, you know, in interviews talk about the fact that like things like 9-11, like traumatic events that were, you know, previous recent air quotes, recent traumatic events, it was an event. It was Mm -hmm. a thing that happened and it happened. And the initial trauma ended and then people had to deal with grieving and, you know, re-traumatization going through the process. But the pandemic has been a thing that just keep, you know, it's it's still happening to us right now. Right. And so it's a very different like mental health picture. Yeah, that makes sense. Like it's still something that we're going through and it's being reduced like – the reduction of coverage of it has been pretty alarming. Yeah. But now we're getting to the point where we're like, let's just put a lot of pandemic-related media in people's faces. Yeah. And hope that they're going to be able to handle it and process it. The Last of Us is such an interesting, specific item because the video game became popular and the story was really well-known like way before the pandemic right. happened. And is set in a time way pre-pandemic like it's set in 2023 but the the initial happening happened in 2003 which the world was a very different place in 2003 than it is in 2023 but it's going to be interesting to see how people are going to be processing through the pandemic in retrospect because we saw on the news like semi-trucks like with dry ice and them filled with dead bodies and like We saw doctor and nurse burnout in real time. We saw the mass exodus of people from their jobs when they realized, hey, this sucks and I'm not doing Mm -hmm. this anymore. We remember like lockdowns and not being able to leave your house after 10 o'clock and stuff. Those things are so close to us in the rearview mirror that like it's hard to process that event. But in the next five to 10 years, I'm really interested to see how media is going to treat that. Yeah. Because something that continues to happen like you can't stop a thing and say okay pandemic is over now i will process Mm -hmm. covid is going to be endemic just like the flu so are we ever going to be able to like truly stop and say hey i'm going to process this now yeah it's a really good question but interesting that we don't do that sort of like self-censorship anymore or like Mm -hmm. i don't want to say that we're we're being sensitive to but we as a culture at least here don't do that sort of like therapeutic like hey i i want to try and prevent somebody from feeling traumatized by this movie so let me cut this out it's almost like we're getting to the point where we want to do that like yeah. movies are made to yeah make you feel triggered like that media is also so different too you know it's yeah. like even in 2001 you know now media and and content is so splintered and spread out and so self-selected you Mm -hmm. know even in 2001 it was like okay if you have cable you essentially have the same offerings that everybody does that chooses to pay for cable if you're going to the cinema you have the same essentially the same options that everybody that's choosing to do that has same thing with regular tv and now it's like 
because you can self-select even your streaming services. Like, and there's so much more content. It's like, well, if you opt out of this thing, there's still plenty for you. It's not like if you opt out of this thing, then you're opting out of like all culture of the moment. Right. It's, it's very different now too in terms of the media landscape. Yeah, that's very fair. The one thing that like came to mind immediately was Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that movie was released right on the tail end of when the Me Too movement kind of faded out of like being talked about all the time. And although like... I was kind of a passive, uh, like a passenger in the coverage of that because it was such a fraught topic. And I felt like I don't need to take up space in this. Like this is a space for other people. So I'm just going to be a watcher in this case. Yeah. And then I see Promising Young Woman. I'm like, wow, this is extreme. Like if I were somebody who had experienced that kind of like sexual assault, Mm -hmm. rape, something like that, it could be very traumatizing for me to see a movie like that. That was just kind of like the first thing that came to mind was like, mm-hmm. that's a movie that could potentially be very traumatizing oh, yeah. for a sexual assault survivor. Definitely. Or the people around them that had to deal with the fallout, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so yeah. Although we're not talking about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> At some point we yeah, will. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> I did like though that this movie, it feels like it falls into a comfortable pattern of horror movies, a genre where a lot of times in a slasher, you see sort of like the same sort of formula. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's accident happens, terrible thing happens. And then you have this crazy person who's like running around creating havoc. And then it's like 20 years later yeah. on the anniversary. Yeah. Don't do this thing because otherwise everybody will die. Yep. It's comfortable. It's a comfortable it is. pattern. You yeah. Know. It's a there- tried and true horror formula. Totally. I can't think of one right off the top of my head that's recent, but I did watch Urban Legend recently, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. They're like, yeah. you got to have a frat party on this night because that's the anniversary of this guy getting killed. Yep. And if you don't, bad things will happen. Yeah. Well, Candyman, the new Candyman. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's know. true. I mean, granted, that's a revitalization and a retelling of something, you know, more of this era, but, you know. yeah. It's a comfortable medium for you to crack into horror. Mm-hmm. It's a comfortable medium, but each one has their own little like tailored specificity. Yeah. Well, actually, one that my partner and I saw. Oh, gosh. What's it called? Uh, she Comes from the Woods, I think. Okay. And granted, it is set in the 80s, and it's meant to mimic like an 80s camp slasher. It follows that formula of, you know... 40 years ago at this campsite, this thing happened. And every year we do this to honor and to summon and then chaos ensues. So, <laughs> Now, granted, it is a period piece. So it is really diving into that era. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, I feel like that's something that's never going to go away. That same no. sort of like tor- storytelling. And they can all have their own little twist. Like this one definitely does have a big twist at the end. And one that you may potentially not have seen coming especially if you've only seen the remake because the remake is very different. Oh yeah, which story is wise. It's a good thing. Like you want to surprise people, mm-hmm. you know. Definitely. I, I'm always wary of shot for shot remakes because I'm like, why? Why yeah, are why we even doing make this? it? If we don't have something new to say or some new perspective to explore, then why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know. I agree. So, I appreciate that because it's been so long since I saw this one that I had forgotten who the killer was. <laughs> so, the reveal was like fresh for me and nice. I was like, yes. I forgot. 
I and I most recently watched the remake, which is totally different. Yeah, and the killer is somebody completely different. Yeah, in the remake. And the remake, well, interesting, is definitely overly complicated. This one, I feel like, is so much more straightforward. Yeah. But I do think that it hurts it a little bit, the straightforwardness, and also because it's a holiday horror. Mm-hmm. I think everybody got kind of burned out on holiday horror. They're like April Fool's Day, Valentine's Day, Halloween. Yeah. How many more holidays can we possibly have a horror movie about? And yet the holiday is so subtle in this one. You know, it's like it's there, but it's just a device to get us to a slasher. You yeah. know, it's not like it's... It's not like the killings themselves or the motivation of the killer has anything to do with the holiday beyond the date. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like because I think before I saw this film, I was like, oh, it's going to be some weird, twisted, like love story gone awry. And that's the motivation for the killer. No, no, it's just it just so happens that the traumatic thing that, you know, the inciting incident happened on Valentine's Day. Yeah, unlike Valentine with yeah, Jamie Boreanaz. Right, right. <laughs> that one, uh, the opposite. It yeah. is it is very much uh, entrenched in the fact that it is Valentine's Day. Yeah. And it's a twisted love story. I forgot that movie existed until you How could it. you? I'm just kidding. Ah, I'm a bad horror fan. <laughs> Honestly, I rewatched that one. It was for free on like one of the free channels last year. And I was like, yeah, I probably am never going to have to watch this again. <laughs> It's a slice of 2000s cheese. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And th- that was another reason why I thought maybe it got hurt. Because how many people who hate Valentine's Day want to go and see a movie, a horror movie, right. on Valentine's Day right. about Valentine's Day? Right. That's true. But it's not really. But it's not really about Valentine's Day. Yeah. 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 That's just like a, a setting. Yeah. The streamers and red paper hearts and stuff Mm -hmm. like that just a setting yeah and the name of the town being valentine bluffs which is the only reason that they even celebrate so hard then anyways if it was easter bluffs maybe they would just have like a big easter party (laughs) or president's day bluffs horrible easter horror films no there's some terrible ones i cannot believe that (laughs) there's no way was it called was it called the passion of the christ (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that's like the third time we've made a joke (laughs) zing i've honestly never seen the passion of the christ maybe i'll just read the wikipedia page and call it a day there you go (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm just kidding like celebrate however how in whatever way you would like i just don't celebrate easter aside from eating i know this is going to be an unpopular opinion but shitty jelly beans here's my unpopular opinion is that i love peeps so you know that's fair yeah do you make anything with them, like peep sandwiches with candy? No, no. Just the peep by itself? Just uncut raw peep. <laughs> Do you like marshmallows in general? Yes. Okay, that's fair. I think people can't handle the texture. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's it's specific. I mean, there are two kinds of peeps. There's the peeps fresh out of the package when they're all soft, and then there's the peeps when they've been sitting, when you're a kid, like in your Easter basket the whole day and mm-hmm. they start to get a little chewier. Yeah. It's two different peep experiences. Which one's your favorite? Ooh, that's a good question. I kind of like the chewy ones. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you were like not a peep discriminist. Not really. I mean, I'm an equal opportunity peep eater. <laughs> peep eater. Yeah. Oh, man. I Honestly, I can't tell you the last time I've had a peep. I don't even know. I just kind of... 
like I never am like I will purchase these. Oh, they're must have for me. Really? Like even oh yeah, even like as an adult, my mom always gets me a pack of peeps for Easter. God bless <laughs> I know. Mama from Holt. I swear. <laughs> She's the best. Yep. If she can make one Attack of the Final Girls Easter basket for us to share, I'll put it here oh, and it, we can <laughs> You're speaking this into existence because she's a listener. <laughs> Yay. Please, Mama From Holt, can we please have a I'm going to attack the final girl's Easter basket. <laughs> you could put whatever you want in there. It's the thought that counts. Yeah. Including crappy jelly beans, please. <laughs> I'm talking like Brock's jelly beans yeah. or like the dollar store jelly beans, including the licorice ones. I love them. <laughs> I like, I don't like jelly bellies because I love those type of jelly mm-hmm. I don't know why I keep talking about this. Because now I'm like, I really want some jelly beans. Well, because we're talking about, like, you know, Valentine's Day candy, sure. Easter candy. Why aren't there e- Valentine's Day jelly beans? There should be. Maybe I would be more receptive to that as a holiday if there were Valentine's Day jelly beans. Valentine's Day is like chocolate's day to shine, I feel like. And then they're all sold out. All the bad ones are sold out. Yeah. But the Reese's hearts aren't even as good as the Reese's eggs. It doesn't make any sense, I know, but they just don't taste as good. In my opinion. Yeah. I have heard this. I'm not a huge Reese's fan. so You don't like peanut butter though, right? No, I don't. Listen, I'll eat all the peanut butter stuff and you can have all of the peeps. Okay. And we'll just split it like that. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) It'll be be great. I did want to say that if you have the capability of seeing this movie in the extended cut, Mm -hmm. definitely try to get your hands on it. Yeah. Right now the movie is streaming on HBO Max. I don't know which version it is. I don't know if it's theatrical or extended. But if you can get it that the Lionsgate re-release or there's another re-release that came out with April Fool's Day attached to it as well, definitely try and get your hands on it because those extra like three or four minutes of footage really are pretty crucial to the movie. Yeah, they are. And they make it look really great. Mm -hmm. And I did read that the director said that the special effects made him sick, like they were that gross. And I don't think this is a gross out movie. The effects are great, but it's not so much that you're like, oh, I'm going to die. Yeah. If you're a fan of like 80s practical effects, watch the extended edition because these are some really well done 80s practical effects. I love 80s practical effects. And I really appreciated this because it was also kind of a small budget. Mm -hmm. So they filmed this in Nova Scotia. And I read that they were like, "Okay, we're using this mine because we like it because it's grungy and dusty and gritty looking. And that's the vibe that we want is like an actual working mine. Well, when the townspeople found out, I don't know if this was malicious or not, but they were like, we got to clean up the mine. So they spent $50,000 on cleaning up the mine so that it looked nice and spick and span. And the director's like, shit. And they had to spend $75,000 to put it back to where it was. Oh my gosh. And they really did film parts of this in the mine, like 900 feet underground. They'd use special lights so it didn't blow up the methane down there, mm-hmm. which is like pretty integral part of this story. So it's kind of funny. But yeah, like the effects are fantastic. Light years ahead of a lot of stuff that came out after this, like even 20 years after this. This is really, really good stuff. Definitely. And the footage that has these effects leaves a little bit to be, you know, it's just... They didn't remaster it. They didn't yeah, get a good, yeah. they didn't get a it's great a final grainy. cut. Yeah. But if the whole movie was a little grainy, I feel like it would give it that little extra. Definitely. Because the re-release looks like pristine. Yeah. Except for those cuts. Really well done. 
Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah. Definitely try and get a hold of that extended release. I would say it's very much worth it. Yeah. So this movie centers itself around Valentine's Day, but it doesn't actually have anything to do with Valentine's Day mm-hmm. except for a reason for these kids to party against yeah. like all orders. There's a scene in the movie where Axel grabs Sarah by the arms and like pulls her to him and she's like, stop, let me go cut it out. And it reminded me that in 1981, this was still a time when that was all very normal. Yeah. And people would probably not step in. Yeah. To like stop something like that from Absolutely. happening. And I think it's easy to forget that. Yeah. Like now, if you see somebody putting their hands on a woman, it's going to be like immediately cops are called, mm-hmm. bouncers are called over, you know, whatever. Your friends are going to step in and say, hey, dude, that's not cool. But 1981 was not that time. In a related scene, TJ pulls Sarah into his car. Oh, yeah. And she's like, no, I don't want to go with you. And he just kind of chucks her in the car and then takes her off to have this like, you know, discussion about how he's upset because he's come back and he's still in love with her and blah, blah, blah. And she starts off upset and then she just kind of has the conversation with him. And I'm like, that would not fly. Like, he kidnapped her. Like, yeah. if you're going by today's standards. But I feel like, again, like, you know, in the 80s, it was almost in the film framed, and I've seen other media, other older media do this, it was almost framed as, like, romantic. Like, oh yeah, you know, TJ is supposed to be the hero. You know, we kind of understand him as... He's the guy we're rooting for. He's kind of the underdog because he's just back in town and he's still in love with her. And, you know, he seems, even before we get, you know, all of the reveals, he seems kind of nobler and sweeter than Axel. But it's just almost viewed as like romantic. Like he's going to make her go even though she doesn't want to and he's going to confess his love for her. And I'm like, ew, no, like that's kidnapping, man. And to uh, speak to Sarah's kind of will, it seems as though at the end of the movie, she's still not convinced about all this stuff. And although Axel, you know, he's the big bad and potentially the person that she was dating, she still cares about Axel even after all of that, like Mm -hmm. even after that realization, which I think is pretty realistic. Yeah. Because if you found out that your partner, you know, or somebody that you had been dating, even for a short period of time was a murderer, and then they got a load of rocks dropped on them you'd probably be like well i haven't had time to process that and i'm not immediately against them yet um but yeah she doesn't seem like okay yes i'm down like i love you you're my second choice let's go right yeah sarah has terrible options yeah what was it that you said she needed to like leave town and date women (laughs) yeah yeah i think i said as we were watching it like sarah needs to just like leave town and only date women from now on because you know, her two options in this tiny town are both pretty terrible, honestly. Yeah. Even though TJ is supposed to be the air quotes hero, like, he's not great either. There are seven total men in this town, yeah. and five of them are already dating other people. Yep. And it doesn't seem like there are any other young people in town no. either. So, like, yeah, girl, you need to go to another big city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because she's great. And she, yeah. she seems like a really nice person. She's just kind of caught up between a rock and a hard place in terms of bad men. Yeah. That was actually a note that I took was Sarah's options. Yeah. Yeah. The treatment of her and like these guys just kind of like macho, you know, sword fighting over her. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she was my girlfriend. And, and Axel's like, no, no, she's my girlfriend. You can't have her. 
whatever. Like. Yeah, the level of like machismo in general in this movie, and I get it. Like it, it actually does make sense, even if it's kind of gross. Like there are a bunch of young men who work in a mining town. It's a very masculine trade, you know, that their whole town is built upon. I get it, but like there were several times where I was just like, "Ew, come yeah. on, guys, gross." Yeah. And there's only, like, a handful of them. Right. And so they're going to be the breadwinners, and mm-hmm. they're going to marry these chicks, probably, and have a bunch of babies that are going to go and work in the mines, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so weird. And, like, I, I, the other reason why I appreciated Sarah's choice there so much more is, like, she didn't fall for TJ's crap. Like, yeah. TJ's like, well, I just failed so hard out west, and it, it wasn't my fault. Like, she said, you could have called. You could have written a letter. And he was like you don't understand how hard it was. And it's like, I can tell you from experience, somebody just leaving and piecing out on you when you care about them and then never hearing from them. I think I said earlier, you're not responsible for the ways that you keep your life going after somebody leaves. Like you don't owe anything to them. And that's what he was saying. It's like, no, you owe me a relationship with me because I left, but I still loved you. Right. It's like, no, that's garbage. Yeah. And Sarah sees that. It's the presumption that Sarah should have sat at home pining for TJ the whole time he was gone. And then when he rolled back into town, immediately leapt into his arms. Like, it completely ignores the fact that she is a full grown-ass person with her own life. And he wasn't there. And And so... She had every right to move on. Yeah. And she had no idea whether or not he was coming back. Yeah. Like he up and left. Mm -hmm. And for me, like from my point of view, you do not owe anybody who leaves like that anything. Absolutely not. If you need to put move your life on, if you need to date other people, if you need to get married to other people, whatever, that's on you. Like you get to do that because you can't just stay waiting for people the rest Mm -hmm. of your life and the remake actually plays with that idea even more by the way if that's something that interests you about this film i won't say they do it in the greatest way but they do dive into that dynamic a little more in the remake which i did appreciate that too Mm -hmm. yeah i like that they went there i don't think that they got there but i like that they tried not to give all movies a pass that do stuff like that but also it was 2006 yeah a lot of movies that were being made during that time were like not exactly the most femme forward, like, right, right. rational movies. <laughs> no, no. I did also want to say I really appreciate the mine aesthetic, being from a family yeah. who my ancestors on my dad's side, um, and maybe some on my mom's side, although I don't know as much, uh, were all miners. And I've had a lot of family members who grew up in mine towns or former mine towns or still are in the mining industry. And I do love a movie that's set, like, in that kind of minor town. I just I really appreciate it. Yeah. I think it's cool that this movie, you know, being at sort of the height of slashers, you know, the first wave of 80s slashers, is about young adults who are not teenagers. Mm-hmm. So young adults who are past high school, who are at a different phase in their lives. But these are young adults in the context of being in that mining community does give it a really interesting backdrop. And to my mind, does set it aside a little bit from all of like the high school movies and the prom movies and the camp movies and all of that. Yeah, definitely. It's a setting that doesn't get explored as much, I don't think. Because it is difficult. And I'm sure there are probably not like, you know, people beating down the door to make another mine horror movie. Right. <laughs> um, probably not. We'll see. We'll, yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't know. We have no idea. But 
there's a really, really good podcast that has to do with mining in Appalachia. If you've yeah. ever heard of it, it's called Old Gods of Appalachia, and you should definitely go and throw money at them on Patreon and listen. They're my heroes. <laughs> and their third season is about uh, mine towns. It's all horror stuff that uh, takes place in Appalachia. And season three is focused on the mining, the coal mine industry. There's a little bit in the first season that it's about the mine. A little bit, yeah. Like the very beginning of the first season. Yeah. But everything in that show is is interconnected. Yes. And it's so very good. Mm-hmm. Just going to shout them out really quick. Yes. Yes. We love them. <laughs> and also this movie actually came out before Day of the Dead. And although it's yeah. a little different, Day of the Dead has to do with just being in that mind setting mm-hmm. because of the safety of it. This has more to do with like minors. Right. Right. And I think you mentioned... Was it Sabrina earlier? Yeah, yeah. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm fairly convinced. I mean, I've never seen this documented, but I it has to be a nod to this movie that a major part of the plot of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is that Greendale, the town it's set in, is a mining town. Yeah. And um, Harvey, Sabrina's boyfriend in the first season, is, you know, the son of a miner. Mm-hmm. And the minds play in in a very different way in a non-slasher way to the plot of the whole series and i think it's really great and and chilling adventures of sabrina also explores that kind of generational thing like what happens when you're the son and the grandson of minors but you don't want that to be your future yeah you know and and how do you both break out of that but not offend you know honor your family history and not offend the people that have done that very difficult physical labor to support your coming up yeah it's pretty cool and so i figure it has to be a nod to this movie because the whole series is just a love letter to various horror films and media right it's like how do you break out of the mine shaft when the world has grown beyond yes your backyard yes you know? exactly that's a very interesting and very tough topic to broach with a lot of people who still live in appalachia mm-hmm. You know, the mines are, for the most part, at least in the area of West Virginia that my family's from, are gone. They've been strip mined, so there's nothing left. And now they have, like, these whole towns and communities, small and big, that are like, well, we had this industry for a 100 years. Mm -hmm. And it was detrimental to our health, but we had to do it. And now we don't have anything. There's no good replacement. What do we do now? And the answer right now is drugs. A lot of people just, like... Mm -hmm. They got hurt or there's not much else to do. There's not really solid work. You know, places like Amazon and like these big, huge companies that are like, we'll bring hundreds of jobs to your town. They don't really go to Appalachia like that. No, Um, they're barely coming to Ohio. Like we're lucky here in Ohio that we've gotten a couple of big hubs like that, but not even enough to sort of fulfill the needs of this area. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And let alone like a place that's kind of off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how we're going to be exploring that same theme yeah. later in, in more movies and television. Definitely. So next time, lest we forget, because it's been a hum, <laughs> we are back to our bi-weekly schedule uh, for movies and patrons. We got a lot of stuff coming your way as well. If you are interested in that, if you're like, what stuff is that? You should go check us out on patreon.com slash attack of the final girls. Bonus content there. And you can come hang out in our discord, which is starting to pick up a little steam. Yes. Having all kinds of cool conversations about horror media. And of course, that means that you uh, support our efforts here. Uh, next time for episode 34, we will be talking about Paris 
Insight from 2019. I'm so excited to dive into this one because this is a movie that has a lot to say, that there's a lot to say about. It's actually a horror film that's received some critical accolades. So this will be a good one. Yay. Yay. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We're Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Tonight.